This is the Joe and Amber Podcast. It's Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. No Joe, no Amber tonight. Amber, we can only assume, is still in hiding after she was put on blast for how she says the word ketchup. And I can't blame her because that was embarrassing, and I wouldn't want to show my face or speak into a microphone ever again after that if I were her either. Instead of Joe and Amber tonight, I'm Joe and Amber. You've got us. He's Michael Rothstein. I'm Drew Carter. Thrilled to be here with you. The show, as always, is presented by Progressive Insurance, and if you want to get involved, the number is 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. Uh, it's past 8 o'clock on the East Coast, which means Bayheim's Army is about to tip off in the basketball tournament. Of course, that is very near and dear to our hearts on this show because Michael and I are both obnoxious Syracuse grads, as are a lot of people in this industry. The I think our producer just walked into, out. James, James is out. James actually yeah, said he walked into traffic if we brought this up. along here. We don't need to hear about Syracuse anymore today. Let's, let's, move, let's along. move along. Because Mitch in Mississippi wants to discuss something we just brought up in the last hour of the show, which is Jim Ursay's recent tweet. He put this out less than an hour ago about how the CBA was negotiated, it was agreed to, and to change it because one position group feels undervalued or feels like agents are claiming unfair play, that would be unfair actually in and of itself. And so this all comes from the running back discussion, the group chat, and the Zoom after guys did not get long-term deals following being slapped with the franchise tag. Let's go out to those phone lines again. 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. And check in with Mitch in Mississippi, who's got an idea about who's responsible for the value of running backs dropping. Mitch, you're on ESPN Radio. What's up? Hey, guys. Mitch, you got Um, us? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, yes sir. I got you. What's up? Um, so, I really thought about this for the last few days, and really the thing about it is the person that's really set the blueprint on this today's state of the running backs is Mike Shanahan. I mean, when you really look at all his running backs that were very successful, they were either picked up late in the draft or they were undrafted with the exception of Clinton Portis, that he, he, who he traded away and still has had a successful running back. I mean... It's a, it's uh, a great point. Terrell it's Davis a great point for Mitch in Mississippi. Yeah, so if you look back, if you play fantasy football, you know exactly what Mitch is talking about. Because six or seven years ago when Mike Shanahan was in Washington, you always knew that if you drafted a running back for that team, it was going to be pain. It was going to be chaos in that backfield because he would, not, he would not stick with a consistent running back throughout the season. Like, I remember Roy Hallou was the flavor of the month for Washington for a little bit. I remember Alfred Morris was, was either undrafted or a sixth rounder, I think, out of FAU. He was the flavor of the month. And those guys were uber productive. And Mike Shanahan... Again, I think it's a great point for Mitch. Mike Shanahan sort of revolutionized the position in a really bad way for the position. Yeah, to an extent, but it was I don't know if it was necessarily just Mike Shanahan. Like let's not give Mike Shanahan too much credit here. And and I say that mostly because what has happened in the NFL is that they moved just away from the running back being the centerpiece of the offense. 
Uh, you know, I, back in the 1980s, back in the early 1990s, the running back was the centerpiece. Remember, there was the days of the, of her, the Herschel Walker trade, which made the Dallas Cowboys dynasty. Mm-hmm. Well, part, part of why that happened was because of how valuable running backs were then. Remember, when Ricky Williams was drafted, the Saints traded almost their entire draft to get Ricky Williams because running backs were that important. Well, it went to, from being a running back league to a quarterback dominant league to being a passing league, and that almost automatically is going to take a certain type of running back and make them less valuable. Look at the running backs that are most valuable now, Drew. They're the guys like Christian McCaffrey, like a guy like B. John Robinson who's drafting the top 10, who they're not necessarily running backs. They're running backs in position name only, but they're really more of offensive, what I call offensive options, which is they are running backs, they are receivers, they can play multiple positions on the field. Those are your value running backs now. Very rare is a guy like a Derrick Henry who is more of a strict true running back that's going to be able to get paid. There's one of him in the NFL, maybe two if you want to include Josh Jacobs. That's it. Like, that's part of the issue. Even this guy like Saquon, who's really part of it, and now Austin Eckler, which is part of why this conversation is happening, they are guys who can catch balls out of the backfield. The position has changed. Not necessarily the, de- the devaluing of it. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. He's Michael Rothstein. I'm Drew Carter. Even using that Mike Shanahan example, you're right, it's kind of just a sign of the times because when he won back-to-back Super Bowls in Denver, Terrell Davis was their running back, and he was one of the best of all time, and he was a complete bell cow we're talking about running backs here on espn radio it's been a topic the last five or so days ever since the zoom call over the weekend the latest you know brush on the fire is jim ursay the colts owner tweeting about how the cba was agreed to and to change it now would be wrong let's go back to the phone lines triple eight say espn 888-729-3776 let's go out to montana where andrew has some thoughts on running backs andrew you're on espn radio what do you think Hey, how's it going? So I don't want to blame anyone. I've been watching football for a long time. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. I can remember the year that Emmitt Smith held out for the first two games of the season. Um, I'm not exactly sure, but I think they lost both of those first two games until Emmitt got his new contract. And it also disrupted, like, your flow. Like, you're incorporating new plays, new verbiage, new everything. And these guys are missing it. Same thing with the quarterback. When he holds out, you don't get time to get on the same page with your with your team. My solution is, or something I'd like to offer up, is how come the Players Association can't step in here and go, look, if you're one-dimensional because you don't have a running game or a three-down running back, you basically don't have anything. You're hamstrung. I mean, they're going to put all the pressure on the quarterback, and it's going to be a tough afternoon. Why can't we do something like a pay plan? And I never understood this about sports in general, like, if you've got guys accumulating stats, scoring touchdowns, gaining yards, catching balls, why can't we find a way to pay those guys like a pay plan base, like kind of how I get paid to sell cars? Like, Well, well, Andrew, and bringing, bringing that up, I think you're on the right track there. I mean, Dominic Foxworth, who used to be the president of the NFLPA, he said that on his podcast over the weekend as well. There's a player performance pool, yep. which is worth over $300 million, and maybe some of that money could go to the running back. But there are, there are a couple problems with that, Michael. Number one, you really cannot quantify a player's value to a team. If you just go 
straight statistics and say Saquon had 1,500 total yards last year. That means he's worth this percent of the Giants' salary cap. Then the five offensive linemen are going to look behind them and say, aren't we blocking for this guy? Don't we (laughs) deserve some of the credit? And then I know the Giants are a bad example because they don't really have any other weapons, but they could say, hey, they can't stack the box because, you know, we have guys on the outside. And then Daniel Jones can say, hey, well, I'm I'm a pretty good quarterback. I just got paid $40 million a year. Don't you think I played a role in some of Saquon's success? And, of course, we could do this all day. And then the other problem would be if the NFL agreed to do that and put some of the performance pool money toward the running back position specifically, the owners would essentially be admitting that not they're not necessarily colluding to keep the running back salaries down, but they would be admitting to underpaying running backs collectively. And they just won't do that. It'll never happen. Plus the fact that the CBA is fairly new, and as Jim Mercer said tonight, which sparked this discussion, they're not changing it. No, they're not. But I'll go one step further. His payment plan that the that our last caller was talking about, that exists because it's called incentives. Agents, when they're making the contracts, when they're signing contracts, harder on rookie contracts, but on second deals, but you can even, you can potentially work it in a rookie wage sale. It's very unlikely. Is you can put incentives in deals. You can put incentives in contracts. We saw in this deal that Saquon Barkley signed yesterday, there's about a million dollars in incentives. I cover the NFL for us over at ESPN. I cover the Atlanta Falcons, a team that's very run heavy. And one thing I can tell you is also every year I do a story at the end of the year of incentives, whether that's Pro Bowls, whether that's extra money. So it can be done, and you see it. Guys have it for yards. Guys have it for playtime. Guys have it for touchdowns, for team success. That's on the agents. So if you really want to do that, that's a way to do it as well because you can do it in likely to be earned and not likely to be earned, one which counts against the cap immediately, one which doesn't. There are ways to do it, Drew. As Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio, he's Michael Rothstein. I'm Drew Carter. We know Ryan in Texas and Brandon in Indiana being patient on the phone lines right now. We will take those calls on this running back hot-button debate next. This is ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Joe and Amber, the podcast. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. The problem with coming back from break with this song is I just don't want to talk. 
Just let people listen to this. (laughs) One of the best hip-hop songs of all time, International Players Anthem by UGK. Shouts to Cam. DJing tonight with the board. James Steele producing alongside Michael Rothstein. I'm Drew Carter here on Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Tell your smart speakers to play ESPN Radio. Listen to Joe and Amber presented by Progressive Insurance. You want to call in, 888-SAY-ESPN's the number. That's 888-729-3776. And we've got some calls, and they've been waiting patiently. Talking about running backs in the Jim Ursay tweet about the situation where they negotiated a CBA, took years of effort, hard work, compromise, and good faith by both sides. To say a specific player category wants another negotiation after the fact is inappropriate. Some agents are selling bad faith. Uh, this topic seems to get people really fired up, so let's hear from them. <laughs> Ryan is in Texas with some thoughts on this whole running back situation. Ryan, you're on ESPN Radio. What you got? Hey, good evening, gentlemen. Thanks for uh, taking my call. So I would have to say Mike Shanahan's a great one. Another one would be Bill Belichick. Uh, playing fantasy sports, you saw three different players up there with Rex Burkhead, Danny Woodhead, Sonny Michelle at one point. You had four running backs that he would trot out there every single week and he'd have a different game plan every week. Um, then you got to look at Le'Veon Bell. you got to look at Zeke. you got to look at all these running backs that took insane amount of money and produced absolutely nothing for the four- or five-year contract that they, they signed within the past five years. I like it, Ryan. I think you're right. And if, if we're going to say Mike Shanahan killed the position, we got to give credit to Bill Belichick as well. He has the assist. I mentioned a couple of the guys that Mike Shanahan used in Washington, Roy Hallou, Alfred Morris, Ryan Terrain, all come to mind, and fantasy football players wow. know those guys. <laughs> Remember Jonas Gray I from do. the Patriots? I covered Jonas you know, Gray at Notre Dame. <laughs> Four-touchdown game, I think on Sunday night football, never heard from again. <laughs> like, well, that's what Bill Belichick does. But if you remember, well, that Jonas Gray story, there, there's a caveat there. Jonas Gray, like, skipped meetings and, like, was late to meetings the next week, and Bill Belichick yeah. was not going to have any of that. But, no, Bill Belichick is a great example. That was a good, good call by the caller because Bill Belichick is probably the guy that has been, I think, in modern NFL times, the most responsible for it. But, again, it goes to this, too. New England used to play every year really deep into the postseason. And if there's one thing you know when you live up north, Drew, you live up in Connecticut, so you know this for sure. Once you get to November, December, it gets cold. January, February, you can't throw the ball. It's much harder to throw the ball, much harder to catch a ball when it's, like, frozen almost, which can happen up in New England. You have to be able to run the ball in the postseason. And you need multiple running backs to do that, especially because it's the position that takes the most punishment of any position in the NFL. He's Michael Rothstein. I'm Drew Carter. Joe and Amber is presented by Progressive Insurance. Insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs. For protection on the road and on the water, see how much you can save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and Progressive.com. Talking running backs in the NFL, what's going on with their contracts? Jim Irsay is tweeting, which is always entertaining. Speaking of Indiana, that's where we find Brandon with some thoughts on the running back situation. Brandon, welcome to ESPN Radio. What do you think? Thank you guys for having me. Um, the thing is, I have to say is, you know how back then we have the, uh, the NFL draft, they interview the running back? We have to see how they do 
on field and off the field, like protection, running, yards per game after tackle. We got to see how they do, and we got to very much how much is going to be the payments and everything. So, I think we they need to check on that about players' uh, attitudes and everything. Well, Brandon, it's, it's another good point. You got to see how running backs perform in the NFL before paying them. The problem for the position, Michael, is you mentioned this earlier on in the show. They tend to have their primes be in their rookie era contracts, right? Like the best you're going to get from your running back, especially if they carry the ball a ton in college, which is what you would expect from a guy who's going to get drafted in the first round. Like Saquon Barkley is a great example. He was a workhorse at Penn State. By the time they get to the NFL, they're in their prime. And a lot of the time, their first three years in the league are their best years. And that's why you see teams refuse to give them long-term deals after their rookie contracts expire. Yeah, well, that's actually one of the reasons why we're talking. We've talked a lot about Derrick Henry. We've mentioned Mark Ingram occasionally. We've talked about Josh Jacobs. Part of the reason why sometimes they'll get second contracts, third contracts, is because of how they're used in college. They often only get one year, maybe two years versus guys who get four, three years of heavy workload, four years of heavy workload, and they're used as pounding runners versus kind of the dual threat person like I've been talking about before. The dual threat guys right now are the ones who are going to get paid because their careers are being elongated because they're not taking as many punishing hits as the guys who carry 250, 300 times a season. And that's the thing, Drew, is that from a fantasy perspective, and sometimes when you're a fan of a team, you're like, oh, why is this guy not getting the ball over and over and over again? Why are they not just running it down the throat with this guy? Well, because they're trying to elongate the careers and save them not only for the season, but for multiple seasons to come. There's only one Derrick Henry out there, and there's really only two guys who have run it like Derrick Henry. You can argue maybe three if you want to add Nick Chubb, but it's Adrian Peterson and Derrick Henry and then maybe Nick Chubb. Other than that, you don't see guys with that type of long Longevity carry it as much as those guys do. Larry is in Pennsylvania. We're talking running backs here on Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. Drew Carter, Michael Rothstein. Larry, welcome to the show. What are your thoughts on this latest running back development? Hello. <laughs> Larry, we got yeah. you. Yeah, you're right, right, man. That's what I'm with the, you. <laughs> I don't know what those beeps are, Larry, but uh, we got you here on ESPN Radio. No Larry no. in Pennsylvania. No. Oh, that's no, Larry, okay. Larry said, oh, and, and I agree. I mean, Larry's right. Oh, I mean, that's the biggest problem right now that we that the running backs have is, oh, as in, oh, we're not going to get paid. Oh, kickers are making more than us on an average? Well, that's not good. Like, what do you think we just heard from Larry? Was was he realizing that he burned his dinner? It sounded like maybe a, a microwave or an oven was beeping, and he goes, oh, and then realized he had no time to talk to us about running backs. I think Larry, I think I'm going to make something up. I think Larry was sitting there, and he's actually driving from Pennsylvania to New Jersey, and he got caught in that weird New Jersey circular interchange and was like, oh, what do I do? James, what do you think? You look I, like you I don't know. Yeah, it sounded like he was in a car, and some maybe, maybe uh, the, the the you know the the battery light came on or something. He's like, oh, uh, I gotta go now. <laughs> well, I, I hope he's okay. Auto zone or something. Maybe someone ran up to his window and started punching it. We we saw that on a, a viral video. Apparently, a Canadian guy is the one who was punched. Did you guys see that? He was no. punching a car window like 12 times in a row Cam saw it. it's a great video lots of creative people on tiktok i'll send it to you michael it's it's awesome i'm sure a lot of people listening know what i'm talking about people who are on tiktok because they're not as old as one michael rothstein uh, coming up here on espn radio we go to charlotte and get you set for acc football this is espn radio joe and amber the podcast
10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. Or should I say this is the Syracuse Hour on ESPN Radio. Alongside Michael Rothstein, I'm Drew Carter, getting set to be joined by another esteemed Syracuse grad, David Hale, who covers ACC football for us here at ESPN, covers college football in general. He's down in Charlotte at ACC Media Kickoff. Before we get to David, I want to give a quick update because I'm sure everyone's on the edge of their seats. Bayheim's Army leads the nerd team in the basketball tournament in the Syracuse Regional, which apparently, Michael, is being played at Siena. Sure, I mean that's not close at all. That's no, only two. That's only, it is. That's only two hours away. By the way, I'd like to point out that our producer James Steele, who has been giving us guff about our mutual Syracuse connection, along with the person who's going to be joining us here in a minute or two, has inadvertently made one of the calls on this our shared screen. One of the colors is orange. I, he did this to himself. <laughs> Nice, James. You're in the spirit. We like All to right, see he's that. there now. So you can bring him in, whatever. <laughs> David, welcome to the show. You came at the perfect time. We're talking about Bayheim's Army and how they're playing the Syracuse Regional of TBT in Siena. Does that make any sense, David? Uh, so for a long time, I have followed college basketball. And Siena, Niagara, and I'm trying to think who else, like Manhattan, they're all the same team to me. <laughs> I don't understand how we've gotten here. <laughs> but the Poor worst Kedishas. part, the worst part, the worst part and you guys too. can attest to this, you can attest to this, is that the basketball tournament is somehow now basketball season in Syracuse. How did we let things <laughs> get this bad? <laughs> well, it's because Sienna, it's because Sienna, Niagara, Canisius, Lemoyne, they've all beaten Canisius. Syracuse in the last yeah. two years. I just watched Jimmy Beheim get pulled for Beheim's army. Um, okay, so now that everyone's already turned now that everyone has turned the radio off already, let's get to we've gotten, uh, some we've gotten rid of the, the hangers on. We don't need them. Let, let's get to some college football and David, you're down there at ACC media kickoff and you know, the ACC is in an interesting spot, right? Uh, Dr. Jim Phillips, the commissioner of the league, he had his press conference at the start of ACC kickoff, and he had to address some topics that he probably did not want to address, mainly the growing revenue gap between the Big Ten, the SEC, and the rest of power conferences, including the ACC. What did Jim Phillips say in that press conference, and what stuck out to you? So it, it is the the overriding uh, narrative or sentiment to me was uh, there was two words that he used a lot that I think were indicative of what his feelings are right now. And those two words were togetherness and narrative. And, and I think what he's concerned about is one, obviously after the spring meetings where this kind of blew up that there were schools that were very like, this was not news, but it was kind of then put in the 
in front of the camera in the spotlight that like there are schools who are very dissatisfied where things are going and the lack of, of urgency among other schools to try and resolve problems. And so I think a big part of this was about saying like, well, we, we got through with these success initiatives to have uh, more uh, revenue sharing for the teams that are most successful. And that's great for our league. And we address some of these problems and we're all on the same page, pushing in the same direction. Uh, you know, I don't know, maybe that's, that, that probably is true, at least for the short term. I don't think it's particularly accurate for the long term, but I understand the need to create that image coming out of what was a very tumultuous spring meetings. The, the narrative thing is what was really fascinating to me. And I asked him about this afterwards. That you've got these two leagues that are making all this money and, and, and about to make a whole lot more money in the SEC and the Big Ten. Then you have the other three Power Five leagues, and uh, look, we, we all see what's going on with the Pac-12 right now, and it, it feels like it's a death, death's door, and, and people are sort of like projecting where is Colorado going to be and where is Arizona State going to be, and you know all of these. It, can, should the ACC add Oregon, or will Big Ten add Oregon and watch like? People are essentially just splitting up the Pac-12 as it is. And the ACC, I think, again, much like what came out of these spring meetings, is people look at it and say, like, well, you know, they can't do anything tomorrow because of money, but everybody's just biding their time and putting X's on the calendar until the day that they can leave. And you have the Big 12, which really is not going to have a marquee team after this year, and they're like that cool, swinging, fun. We're upstarts. We're going to go out. We're looking to expand. Hey, Pac-12 teams that are unhappy, come on and join us. Hey, maybe we'll go raid the ACC one day. Who knows? We're expanding. We're living the dream. Like the the narrative around that league, which is by any metric behind the ACC right now, somehow seems so much more optimistic. And I think this is what Jim Phillips is trying to get at. Is like I don't need to be Brett Yormark. I don't want to be out there saying. We're stealing other leagues' teams and, and, and touting all our virtues, but we're in a better shape than they are if you would stop thinking about the narrative and start looking at the actual dollars. Again, how true is all of that in the long term? I, I don't know. And I've talked to ADs who have genuine questions about, like, look, the Big 12 is going to renegotiate their TV deal before we are. Might not be so great for us. But I think his basic, his basic ideas – in the short term resonate in which the story that's being told about the ACC is perhaps not as dire as people are making it out to be. And the folks that are still in this league want to find a way to make it work. I think in the short term, most of that is true. We're talking to David Hale, who covers the ACC for ESPN here on ESPN radio alongside Drew Carter and Michael Rothstein. Uh, David, maybe this is me being a Northeast guy and, you know, like you, like like me, like Drew, you went to Syracuse as well. But I've always thought of the ACC as a basketball league. I mean, that when you're talking about narratives, you look at the teams that are in the ACC and they're mostly known for basketball other than Clemson and Florida State and Miami. Like everyone else is, is really a basketball school. Like, is that part of the issue here that maybe that that's the identity of a lot of these schools still? Absolutely it is. And this was one of my uh, Jim Phillips key jobs when he first took over was to try to convince the membership of this league that we need to be a football focused league. And I don't, he, you know, he would, he would couch that in like, that doesn't mean we don't care about basketball. You shouldn't uh, diminish your interest in basketball, but we need to prioritize football. And look, if you look at where the revenue numbers come from, he's not wrong in saying that. 
But the fact of the matter is, is one of the biggest challenges that the ACC faces that is starkly different than the Big Ten and the SEC is that it is an entirely diverse base of schools. Like these are not schools that have the same academic plans, the same sports plan. Like, you know, again, Florida State, Miami, Virginia Tech, maybe even NC State, Clemson. Like these are football schools. But Boston College, Syracuse, like these are basketball schools, North Carolina, Duke. Like the the, the athletics vision is different. The philosophical vision is different. The cultural visions are different. The alumni bases are vastly different. I mean, you've got a couple of big state schools with huge alumni bases, and you've got a whole bunch of private schools. You've got some schools that are, you know, Clemson's out in rural Clemson, South Carolina. You've got a bunch of big city schools. Like, compare that to the SEC. Compare that to the Big Ten. These are big state schools with huge alumni bases and huge fan bases who are invested in those schools. I mean, they're, you know, I remember going out to a South Carolina game way back in the day when they were 0-11 or whatever, and the stadium is full. Like, you go to a Duke game when they've got nine wins last year and the stadium's empty. <laughs> there is a, that is the problem with the ACC is they don't have the same homogenous football-centric viewpoint that the SEC or the Big Ten has. Syracuse grads use words like homogenous. Very impressive from David Hale, who covers college football, specifically the ACC, for us here at ESPN. David, Jordan Travis and Florida State are a trendy pick to win the ACC this year and potentially make the college football playoff. Why was Jordan Travis talking about microwaves at ACC kickoff? <laughs> uh, you know, he's got a great uh, point. So I, I have a story that's up on ESPN.com today. I talked to Kenny Dillingham, who was Jordan Travis's OC early in his career at Florida State and helped resurrect Bo Nix out at Oregon last year before becoming the head coach at Arizona State. And one of the things that, that Kenny Dillingham said, uh, this is sort of the point of the story that I wanted to get into, is like, what does it mean to develop a quarterback these days? Because we live in a world where if you're not getting snaps, it doesn't matter if you deserve those snaps or not. If you're not getting the snaps, you leave and go somewhere else. And if you're a coach and you don't think you've got a quarterback, you're not developing them and waiting for them to get better. You go out and find somebody else. Like, this is the world that we're in. And, and as Kenny Dillingham said, it's a microwave world. And, and when you make food in the microwave, that food ain't as good. The fun part about this is I actually ended up talking with Kenny Dillingham about Hot Pockets for like 10 <laughs> minutes after that. None of that conversation made it into this story because my editors are cowards. My editors are cowards, and we should have just had a full story on Hot Pockets. But neither here nor there. That's an axe I've got to grind on my, my own. My mouth just got but, burnt from hearing that. I don't know I mean, how that happened from my ears to my mouth. I mean, I, I'm just assuming now that by saying that, you're going to be sentenced to go cover Syracuse Colgate on September 2nd. <laughs> I will always do that. I would always do that for Dino. Uh, no, but the, you know, look, the point is, is you look at Jordan Travis, it is such a fascinating story, a, a, I, I would argue an inspirational story, and one that does not have a lot of uh, corollary. There's not a lot of other stories around college football in its history, but certainly recent history of guys who were as low as he was when Mike Norvell's staff got there in 2020 that are now looking at winning a potential Heisman. And it's funny, I we were talking to Mike Norvell about this today, and he was saying he got done spring practice last year, and they do their exit interviews at the end of spring practice, and he has Jordan Travis in his office, and they go over the things that they're supposed to 
work on and things he wants to see Jordan improve. And then he, Jordan's getting ready to end their interview, and he says to Jordan, look, I want you to leave my office and get on the elevator, and you go down to the lobby. And when you get off the elevator, I want you to go to the left where all those three Heisman trophies are that we have here. And I want you to look at those, and I want you to picture a fourth trophy there because I think you are good enough to win a Heisman trophy at this school. And he's like, I believe that 100% in my heart that that could happen. I don't think Jordan believed it until last year happened. And now he is genuinely and deservedly a Heisman contender. And it is strictly about the belief that that coaching staff had in him for years. And it's funny, we talked to Jordan today and we're like, well, yeah, of course, you know, you need to get the confidence up and what have you. What, What did you do to change your like mechanics? What did you do to get better as a quarterback? He's like, Honestly, I'm doing most of the same things I was doing all along. I just didn't think I could do it at this level before, and now I know I can. And that is a crazy thing when you think about the number of guys who probably have had similar circumstances that that don't make it out on the other end the way that Jordan Travis has. It is a great story. He is a great dude, and and it's you know you don't have to be a Florida State fan to root for the Jordan Travis story at this point. You can find him on Twitter at a David Hale joint. He's David Hale. One of the best we've got here at ESPN. Have fun at the Westin in Charlotte, my friend, and thanks for coming on, Joe and Amber. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, David Hale, so great. And it's great to have a trifecta of Syracuse grads on the We love it. You will. <laughs> Nobody else loves That's right, a triad. You've got to sound pretentious if you're talking about being a Syracuse grad. Coming up here on ESPN Radio, we wrap up our two-a-day segment for our show with the Los Angeles Rams. How good can they be? in 2023 and wrap up the show this is joe and amber on espn radio joe and amber the podcast hey let's go do our job man nfl nation two-a-day on espn radio the Los Angeles Rams. Blue 58! Go! This is Travis Rogers from ESPN 710 in Los Angeles. And heading into the 2023 season, the biggest storyline for the Los Angeles Rams is how is Sean McVay going to deal with the expectation of having a bad team for the first time in his NFL career since his rookie season as a head coach. That season, there were no expectations. McVay surprised everybody. They've been good ever since up until last year. This upcoming season, of course, is the first time under the McVay era where the team is expected not to be competitive, where the team is expected to not contend for a playoff spot. That's the challenge he faces. That's the challenge the entire team faces. What do you do when no one expects you to be good? Countdown to kickoff with NFL Nation Two-A-Days on ESPN Radio. It is Two-A-Days continuing here on Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio alongside Michael Rothstein. I'm Drew Carter. Wrapping up the show, Joe and Amber is presented by Progressive Insurance. So interesting thing there in that open, Michael, about how the Rams are not expected to be competitive. I actually disagree with that. They stripped the roster in a lot of ways, but if Matthew Stafford is healthy, Sean McVay, of course, is a great coach. If Cooper Cup is healthy, they still have some elite, elite talent. I know Jalen Ramsey is gone, but I still think the Rams could be okay in a pretty weak NFC Matthew Stafford could legitimately be the second-best quarterback in this conference. He just has to be healthy. Well, that's the whole thing. Listen, I covered Matthew Stafford for eight years in Detroit. When Matthew Stafford is on, there's, there's very few quarterbacks in the league who are better than him. Remember, he was doing all the sidearm, different arm angles, 
arm yeah. slots bef- well before Patrick Mahomes, but he got the difference between him and Patrick Mahomes is he got criticized for it, or Patrick Mahomes got lauded for it while he was in Detroit. I don't think this Rams team is going to be that bad. Do they have much depth? No. Do they need everything to go right? Yes. But their top-end talent is still very, very good. They still have this guy, Drew. You might have heard of him. His name's Aaron Donald. He's the the most 99-club player ever in Madden to start a season. He broke Peyton Manning's record this year. And he's the best defensive player maybe in NFL history. Matthew Stafford's still a good quarterback. They have Cooper Cup. They even have a guy like Ben Skoranek who can play a little bit as well. There are some weapons here. There are some players here. I I think they're going to be all right. It actually wouldn't shock me at all if they end up finishing second in the NFC West behind San Francisco. I think Les Snead, their GM, has done a great job reshaping this roster, setting them, setting them up to have some cap space in the future, which they did not have. I wouldn't even be surprised, Michael, I'll do you one better, if they won the NFC West. Because they, um. to me, have much more quarterback stability than the San Francisco 49ers. I'm really high on the Rams this year. I would, I would take the over, because I feel like the number is pretty low. Seems like everyone's kind of out on the Rams after last season. It was just injuries. Yeah, but here, here the one caveat with that is this, is that Matthew Stafford, he'll play through a ton. I watched the guy play through a ton in Detroit. He wanted to play through a broken freaking back, a fractured freaking back he wanted to play through in his last year in Detroit. To me, he'll play through a lot, but he's suffered a lot of injuries over the last five years. He's played through a lot of them, but he's getting older. It's starting to catch up with him. Missed last summer last year, too. That's concerning to me. I just don't think you can count on Matthew Stafford to play 17 games. And that's not a knock on Matthew Stafford. It's just a knock on the realities of time. And that's the concern. Even with that being said, I think you and I are both higher than the, higher on the Rams than the general consensus going Absolutely. into 2023. On the way out here, Michael, we mentioned that Jim Ursay earlier tonight tweeted, the NFL running back situation, we have negotiated a CBA that took years of effort and hard work and compromise and good faith by both sides. To say now that a specific player category wants another negotiation after the fact is inappropriate. Some agents are selling bad faith. Uh, What's really bad about that tweet was the grammar. You can go see it yourself. Uh, Then Jonathan Taylor's agent, Malki Kawa, I hope I'm saying that right, Malki Kawa, he tweeted, bad faith is not paying your top offensive player. So it seems like we might be in for a real stalemate, Jonathan Taylor and the Colts. As our ESPN radio colleague Myra Metcalf, Metcalf likes to say, bring the popcorn because <laughs> this is going to be entertaining. And you know what? Listen, this is – I love when people are on Twitter. I love when people are in power on Twitter because then they'll say things and it might come back to bite them. And as a reporter, I love covering that. Uh, but I, I think Jim Irsay is going to regret this one because Jonathan Taylor and his agent are going to make this really, really difficult – and you have a rookie quarterback, a quarterback that I'm, I'm not sold on. You're sold on, but not this year. you got to be real concerned right now if you're the Colts because if Anthony Richardson doesn't have that help, it's going to be a very long season for Indianapolis in a division that, frankly, is very winnable. And Jonathan Taylor is at Colts camp, but he's on the active pup list. And we expect that based on the Twitter fingers – that we've seen tonight, this could be a long contract dispute that might not have the resolution Jonathan Taylor wants or that any of the other running backs watching this want, and there might be, hey, there might be another Zoom call. Might as well get it on the books now for next offseason because Jonathan Taylor is going to be going through what Saquon was this offseason. Next offseason, it might be in week three. 
<laughs> like this is going to be this is going to be an ongoing conversation here. The one thing they need to know though is this: the, the CBA did them dirty, and that's not their fault entirely. This has been the Joe and Amber podcast. You can listen to Joe and Amber live weeknights from seven to nine p.m. Eastern. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel eighty, or on your smart speaker. Joe and Amber, the podcast.